Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 93, Finding Bucolic, New Jersey, and Listener Mail, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, welcome, aviation friends, to this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We have something really special this evening. Uh, we're gonna, we have a lot of listener mail, and uh, we're going to catch up on some from the past. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But first, let's say hello to all of our friends. First, uh, Eric Crump from uh, Central Florida. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Good evening. And it's nice and warm there. And uh, also, Rick Felty is with us from the Arctic North. Yes, it's it's getting warmer. Yes, it it's is. Tw- it's 29 right now. 29, wow. And I am actually in a location that's 40 degrees right now. I am in uh, lovely, bucolic, New Jersey. And, uh, that sounds out. like something having to do with phlegm in the throat. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you, bucolic. 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 <laughs> oh, some, uh, it, yes, it does sound, doesn't it? It sounds like a disease Just, almost. Yeah. But, uh, Remind me not to give up my my Twitter handle on this episode. I'm going to get a lot of <laughs> a lot of hate comments from the all the listeners in Bucolic, New Jersey. New Jersey, yes, you will. There's a, uh, and, and I stopped myself from making the New Jersey joke and asking you what exit you were. What you were exit? At. You know, I don't even know. I'm so <laughs> far off the exit. It's that's it's, good. You're in the yeah. you're in the actual Garden State part. I am in of the, the Garden, Garden State, State as a matter of nice. fact. That part where all the all the trees and leaves and birds and bees and and thus, horses thus, go running around. Yeah, thus the word bucolic. Bucolic, exactly. Awesome, but oh my, uh, oh my. And that's Victoria. <laughs> she's she's actually in a very wonderful place. Uh, if you've ever seen pictures on uh, Facebook, is it, uh, you live in a really cool spot, and you live not too far from an airport. Where are you this evening? Frederick, Maryland, on the mountain. It's thirty-nine degrees. Woo-hoo! Thirty-nine degrees and cold. Well, well yeah, welcome. no, thank you. Welcome, welcome. Let's do the pre-flight. Hey, uh, you know, before we get started, we have a couple of announcements. I think, uh, let's see. First of all, I'll make a quick announcement. I flew a 172. And and I have some, as a matter of fact, we'll put a picture in the show notes. It was an amazing evening. And to tell you what, uh, I couldn't fly as pilot in command, so I had someone with me. And people are wondering, well, why not? Well, I uh, I know some of you know that I flew a 172 not too long ago with a flight instructor. Uh, the only problem it was is not me, by the way, and it wasn't I, Eric it because was he was me. too afraid. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, I, I was going to get signed, had the instructor sign my logbook, uh, but I didn't, and I didn't log the landing. So therefore, I am not legal. Why am I not legal, Eric? You're not legal because your landings have to be category class and specific. Okay, and uh, the fact that I didn't log them, is that an issue? 
yes, you must log these things, Carl. You must log. Man. You must log. Log everything. <laughs> and and you know, it's funny. It wasn't much of a mistake. I was just lazy, actually, to be honest with you, uh, not logging the time. And it kind of bit me. I couldn't uh, I couldn't do the... We were going to do some uh, hood work and that kind of stuff and approaches. Well, it turns out we didn't have to worry about that because it was actual IFR. We flew IFR uh, to Lakeland from St. Petersburg, and that was such a blast. But on the way back, I said to him, I said, listen, man, I haven't flown VFR from point A to point B in, God, maybe over a decade. Can we can we do that? And he's looking at me like, uh, okay. And it, it's like, to him, this was like not a big deal. But I'm like, this is so cool. I said, let's turn left. Let's turn right. Let's circle over here. Let's do this. And he's like, oh, wow, you know, you really haven't flown VFR, have you? I said, no. <laughs> it was such a neat trip going from the east to the west over a bridge, a Courtney Campbell Bridge in Tampa, Florida, going towards uh, Clearwater. Just an absolutely beautiful sunset, and I have a picture of it. And we'll I love it the post. that. Pers- that perspective on VFR flying is really cool because you know it. it re- it's got to remind everyone of the you know the the magic n- nature of going where you want to go mm-hmm. <laughs> in every moment. You know, within certain certain limitations, but the turn left, turn right. You know, it's, it's, and you, you, because you don't get to do that. No, not too often. No, not often at all. And uh, every so often, but it's usually in uh, areas that there's no very uncontrolled or or certain areas in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but this mm-hmm. uh, this was somewhat not like that for a little while because we had to fly over a runway. There's an east-west runway in Tampa, and they ask you to fly over the center line, and you have to stay right at 2,100 feet. Mm. Uh, because they have all the airplanes. It's really cool. As you're going over, you're looking down. I was watching a Southwest Airlines take off right below me and and climb to my left and above me. It was the neatest thing. Uh, so that's the reason they make you stay right over the center line so you don't bump into those other aircraft. <clears throat> but for the rest of the flight, it was kind of cool. So just just do what you want, take a look at things, It's and turn this way and turn that way. So neat, neat stuff. But uh, anyway, and I think, Eric, you also had something really exciting happen this week. I did. I I mentioned in the last episode, uh, a guy who had completed his private, and um, I, just, I love watching the look on their face when they get out of the airplane. And um, anyway, we had a student solo on Sunday, and it's you know people solo all the time. But this was a really funny story because we had our monthly student meeting, which we do you know obviously every month. That's why they call it a monthly meeting. Um, and uh, we, everybody was sort of ribbing him about you know why haven't you soloed yet? Why haven't you just being annoying like pilots are? Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so to show us, he, um, he by George, he soloed on Sunday afternoon. Um, so and that was great. He was so excited. Um, he's uh, uh, so a big shout out to Esteban. Congratulations on your first solo. We there was actually video of him getting out of the airplane, um, and I decided that it was not family friendly enough for our Facebook page, um, and it's also not family. Fr- he was a, let me just put it this way. He was extremely excited. <laughs> Um, it, uh, it was borderline end zone dance and Friday night downtown, <laughs> kind of somewhere in the middle of that. And, uh, anyway, but I'm, I'm very happy for him, very proud of him. And, um, he has already doubled down his efforts to get his private done uh, by the end of this semester. So I'm very, very happy for him. Awesome. Esteban, that's awesome. Congratulations. That is such an exciting time. You'll never forget that. Uh, for the rest of your career, for the rest of your life doing that. That's awesome. Now entering cruise flight. Well, that's great. Uh, that's uh, that's it, I think, for the announcements. So we'll, we're going to move on to uh, the, the meat and potatoes of the show this evening. We have a lot of 
listener mail and comments, etc. cetera. Uh, if you remember, I told you to, to email us. I'm not going to tell you that email address because I gave you the wrong one. Uh, the email address is actually contact at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com. Well, the reason I forgot about that email address is uh, this is my mea culpa moment. Uh, we're going to go over some really old emails, and I forgot, or maybe in the transition between my having the podcast and Len having the podcast, I had... I must have missed one of the email addresses, and that was the one where you contact us. If you're wondering why we haven't emailed you back, we've, we've been getting back to you on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we haven't emailed you back because it's my fault. I totally forgot to look at these. As a matter of fact, Russ, who's been helping me out, he actually went through 1,100 emails uh, from, from you folks, and uh, we've whittled it down to, to the questions that people are asking, and that's what we're going to do this evening. We're going to go through those questions and... Uh, I hope you'll enjoy the show. I've, I, we've done this before uh, for, with some listener mail, and a lot of folks really enjoy it, and there's some really, really cool stuff. So I do apologize for that. I, uh, I messed up. But most of the stuff is, uh, well, it, it's actually evergreen content, or it's content that we can listen to and learn from at all times. So let's get started with this, and, and I, I promise in the future we will get back to you if you send us uh, your email and questions. Remember, that's at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. And also, of course, you can send us a voicemail, dip my wings. Uh, that's uh, the phone number there. Uh, and, of course, go to the contact page. But let's get started with the first question. It says, hello, my favorite group of aviation podcasters. I started listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast when I was a student pilot in 2012. You have been a great help all the way through training and finally into my exciting new world as a private pilot. Covering aviation and flying from different angles, as you do in your podcast, is such a great idea. I have learned so much from you, and I want to say a big thank you to all of you. And uh, here's a message to Len. He says, Len, it's so sad to see you leave. I wish you a wonderful tour around the world. Of course, I'm following your blog along your way. To the new PIC podcaster in command, Carl Valeri, great solo. I think the podcast is in perfect hands. All the best from Zurich, Switzerland. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a quite a ride, and it's been a while since Len's been on. He is going to hopefully make another guest appearance, and he's having a lot of fun traveling the world. So I appreciate that that feedback. And uh, we've we've actually been so passionate about aviation here at the Stuck Mike Avcast. It comes through, and I'm so glad that you're enjoying that. Moving on to the next one, uh, it's a comment uh, from episode 74, and he says, uh, "Enjoyed listening to episode 74 with Rob Ryder. He mentioned that his father wasn't able to fly because he was colorblind. I would just like to encourage aviation enthusiast listeners." that although Mr. Ryder's father may have been unable to get his pilot's license at that time, it is possible today to get your pilot's license if you're colorblind or color deficient. You'll just have a restriction on your medical certificate. Don't want potential aviators to get discouraged because they might be colorblind. So uh, he also continues. We, uh, he gives us another update, by the way. Uh, this was, email came from a long time ago. I just got back to him. Uh, he says he'd like to provide some additional information. That was the end of his email, but he's going he's gonna to add some here. Uh, he's been a private pilot since 2012 and uh, had a not valid for night flight or by color signal control restriction on his medical due to color vision deficiency. I've tried to take some alternative tests to remove the restriction, but I don't believe I'll get the restriction removed. I love flying so much. I'm going to continue to pursue my CFI and possibly a helicopter rating slash CFI. But it was difficult, very difficult, finding out 
what commercial flying opportunities exist for someone like me who can't fly at night. It's tough to know if the jump can be made to a career flying if my career prospects beyond daytime instructing are unknown. Is agricultural, firefighting, tour flights, banner tow, and pipeline patrol the only opportunities available? Uh, there isn't a strong sport pilot community right now, so sport pilot instructor is a possibility. would be very difficult. I've been a long-time listener and appreciate Carl's enthusiasm. I also just want to say thank you for all the hard work you've put into the scholarships listings. What a resource. And then he's mentioning the scholarships. That's at Aviation Careers Podcast. We have the scholarships guide. Uh, well, that that's an interesting e- uh, email, and I think... Uh, Victoria, you actually had, uh, I guess, was it a special issuance on medical for a while? Yeah, I had a special issuance and it was written, you know, in similar wording, but it was um, not valid for any medical past such and such date. So it gave me the limit that every year I'd have to get checked up by a doctor and that the FAA would have to look over the paperwork. Um, But I was not restricted in the type of flying um, like a lot of colorblind pilots are restricted to. And I'm actually, you know, I'm kind of concerned for those type of pilots. Um, I believe you're required to have five hours night flight to become a private pilot and a commercial pilot. Um, I guess you're not PIC, so that's the way around it. Oh. Well, speaking as the colorblind <laughs> pilot on the podcast. Yes. I know. Actually, um, <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am as well. I forgot that you were too, Rick. Yeah, yeah go we ahead. talked about See, that not too long so ago. I, have some, I, I can comment on this too, but go ahead, Eric. Yeah, it's, um, you know, my color vision issue came up when I first started flying. And, and at the time, I was told to take this alternative test, which I did, and that was fine. I got my medical with no restriction. But then, um, you know, leadership changed in the medical institute. Different things happened. Anyway, when I went to renew my medical certificate, unbeknownst to me, the test that I was told to take before was no longer valid. So the, uh, the medical examiner is like, listen, you know, I've got to deny you. And I'm like, well, you know, I'd really rather that you didn't do that. Um, if, if nothing else, can you just issue the medical with the, the color vision limitation on it and I'll take care of it. So anyway, so I finally, as I'm, a, I was, I was, a, no, I just completed my commercial and I was working on my CFI and, um, you know, and here I am in this situation. What am I going to do now? It took me nine months, but I took the color signal test where you stand at the base of the tower and they shoot the light gun at you and you tell somebody what color it is. And I finally got the night uh, restriction removed from my medical. But to your point, I've, I've had this issue with pilots in the past. And in the private scenario where you have to do the night, it's all dual. So there's no requirement to do night solo. So for private, it's not an issue. And then for commercial, um, you, you, it used to be an issue because you had to fly your nighttime solo. But now that the commercial regulations have been changed to say solo or with an instructor on board, um, now colorblind pilots can still become commercial pilots. There we go. Awesome. Good, good, good. Great clarification. And Rick, you had some issues. What what were your issues with the colorblindness that you had to go through? Yeah, I, I, I must have come in after or, or I got different advice, but the, the timing, whatever happened on the, on the actual rules, my experience was that I... Uh, had to go to the FISDO and had to set up a, a signal light gun test and um, went uh, over to Hanscom and stood there and the, you know, the examiner guy you know, radioed the tower and had him fire the lights and I got, I got him right. <laughs> so now I have a document that I have that I produce at medicals that says you know, that I passed that test. So I, I, can, I have no restrictions. 
And that and you and, and you I, never have to take a color vision test ever again. Exactly. They never test you ever again. No, they They're don't because golden it's, forever. Yeah, it's silly to because when it's because I I say all the wrong things. That's an eight. No, it's not. You know. No, but I yeah, got so I, excited. I don't know if you had yeah, this rig, but you, it's, it's just a bunch cool. of dots, and then you get to the last one, and it's like. 23, I can see that one. No, you see 23 if you're colorblind. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, okay, well never mind. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, and, and I yeah. knew I was. Now, did you know you were? Did you, did you discover this because of flying, or had well, you already, I mean, always known? I would always refer to something as being blue, and my sister would make fun of me and say, that's purple, you know, yeah. as a kid. You know, I just right. never, you know, it, and I, my deficiency is red-green, like my, right. most Mine people's too. is. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's the dark colors. And yeah. and it's the transition shades. I just can't yeah, see I agree. Them, can't see them. Yeah, apart. and so I think to some degree in my childhood, I, I didn't learn how to how to see them. So there's some gaps where I think something. Yeah, you're right. It's like browns and dark reds or whatever it is. But um, I but I knew. So I went in saying, "Hi, I'm colorblind. Um, what am I going to have to do?" And then the, and they had had this experience before, and and it took a while to set up the test. But it was it was a big relief when, yeah. when I passed the thing because. Because what's funny about it is you don't know what it's. It's funny you you don't get to see those lights before you see them. Like right. it's not some like let's look at all of them now. Tell us which colors this is. It's here's a color, you know. And so for me, you know what you know, Eric. There's did that you moment. Practice. Of, I, I didn't know how to practice. I did not practice. <laughs> so I, I got lucky. Well, see, I, I mean, I got it right, but the I, first time. You what? Um, I failed it the first time. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, well, this is a this is between us. <laughs> but you will know what I mean. Which is like, okay, is that green? I think it's green. You know, give what are the now what are the options again? You know, it's it's just very funny. Uh, <laughs> right. But I but I fortunately got it right. <laughs> well, and I, I think, took my first one with a like a really basic like an old light gun with an incandescent light bulb, uh, and the guy was shooting it through the the where the windows meet in the control tower uh, and the sun was on that window panel. Uh, like, like I don't need any more difficulty <laughs> with this. Like we need to make this as easy as possible. So I failed right. it. And right. that was when I was still in Tennessee. I, that was at, uh, at the Nashville international airport actually. And then, um, so I moved to Atlanta and I'm supposed to be flying professionally and I have this color vision, you know, I can't fly at night. I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do about this? And uh, I mentioned that just to go to his question. My boss was totally fine with it. I mean, it didn't impact my job at all. I just couldn't fly at night until I got the limitation taken care of. But even if I hadn't gotten it taken care of, I would have just been a daytime-only flight instructor. You know, I mean, it, it, he didn't care at all. Um, he just, you know, well, are you going to go try to do something about it? Sure. And so what I did, because I had so many students that were soloing, I had a good relationship with the control tower at Peachtree DeCab. So I, I called them on the phone and I said, hey, I'm about to step outside of the, on the ramp. Can you shoot light gun signals at me and let me tell you what color I think they are? <laughs> and so nice. I went out and practiced. Nice, um, smart. And I had them shoot lights at me because I'd failed it once, and you only get to take yeah. it twice. Um, and so then when I went to take the the, the final test or whatever, it was yeah. at uh, it was at a different airport, but they had been upgraded to the new light gun. It was LED. It was so it was so green so and clear. so white and so right. red. It was a piece of cake, but I didn't know that. The first time was really awful, and I was afraid, you know, if I miss this yeah. again, uh, I'm going to be up a creek. So yeah, hopefully the hopefully the listener has since writing that email found all this out. But if not, we should get well, get a hold of. Him. But but also, I, I think he's asking, you know, banner toe and those torque. Yeah, lights. that's a different level of question. Yeah, yeah and the, and he's looking at doing it, you know, as far as a living. But you know, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, Eric. I know that there's part 135 single engine uh, opportunities out there for air taxi, which those are are primarily uh, day VFR. 
that I've seen. Uh, I know a couple people that have those certificates. I understand it's not the most, it's not the biggest out there. There's not a lot of opportunities, but there's some out there uh, under air taxi. So that's that's another thing that can be done. You know, flying people around during the day, that type of thing. And uh, it really depends on the 135 operation. Uh, like in our operation, you know, in two years I did three overnights. You know, and it was all out and backs, and it was all during the day because it was flying people to their meeting and bringing them back home. Um, very few night trips, very few after dusk trips. But again, that's going to be very operation specific. Um, and I mean, are there possibilities? Of course there are. And, um, you know, when you look at some of the, um, some of the 135s that are primarily tourist operations, um, you know, island hopping in the Bahamas or around the Keys, that's all day VFR. I mean, their certificates are limited to day VFR, not the pilots, but the operation. Um, so there's, there's plenty of opportunities and things like that. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule a career in aviation out at all because you're colorblind. And I say that as someone who is colorblind and has a great career in aviation. It, I mean, it's, it, yeah, there's, there's still opportunities. Even with the limitation, I still had opportunities. And those are some awesome opportunities. Boy, heck, I want to I want to leave my job and do some day VFR. I got to get up at two thirty in the morning, you know, <laughs> and, and, and go to the airport when it's still dark out. I, I'm I'm thinking I'm liking this idea, uh, so I might start looking at some of those opportunities. And Key West has appeal over oh, whatever yeah. call it. Bum colic, New Jersey, or whatever. <laughs> wow, you're just digging a wow. deeper hole. Wow, dude. I'm going to be in so I much can't trouble. Wait till I see him. <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm from rural Alabama. There are so many weird city names. Anybody who wants to make no, fun of any town in Alabama, I'm gosh, right with you. So, but that's a really funny city name. Bucolic is not a town name; it's a word. It's a word. Uh, yeah. How do you spell it, Carl? B U colic. B U C. Are you looking it up right as we speak? Well, I am. I want to read it. You call it B U C O L I C. Of or relating to the pleasant aspect of the countryside and country life. Yes. That's what Carl meant. As a matter of fact, <laughs> not bum colic or bum colic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different word, and I'm not going to look that one up. <laughs> oh, I'm, hey guys, I'm making it up as I go here. You know? <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> it's good. My six-year-old would like that word a lot. <laughs> when my kids wake up, I may have. To, I'm I have to play this. I'm going to have to play this episode for them. I think they're going to like this one. You, you know, it's interesting, actually. That it's a what is it? New Jersey uh, Country Roads magazine is actually published in in the town I I live in here, where I grew up in here in, in New Jersey. Nice, nice, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah that's but, how awake I am that I didn't even realize you were describing New Jersey rather than saying what town you were in. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that is I need true. to go to I, sleep. I will, I will go ahead and say that New Jersey has sections that are closer to Manhattan and Philadelphia that are. A lot more, um, you know, herb. Yeah, not because, but but then there's this whole <laughs> section where that you get into. It's like, wow, it's just countryside. It's great. Yeah, it's beautiful, and there's all sorts of airports out here. And Victoria has been to one of Sky Manor. That's one yep, of my yeah. favorite airport. <laughs> oh, oh, Turbo look, was excited about liked that. It there too. Yep, nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, but uh, but yeah. So if you get a chance, fly to Bucolic, New Jersey. There's all sorts of nice airports to fly around and enjoy. And places with restaurants. But uh, anyway, hopefully we've answered uh, our listeners' question. I really appreciate it. By the way, if you do write in a question, if you notice I'm not mentioning names, that's one thing we do is to keep your privacy, is uh, to take out all your names, email addresses, and phone numbers, just to give you a heads up. So if you leave us a phone number uh, and you want us to call you, I will pass it along to the co-host, but I'm not going to mention it here. So moving right along, we have quite a few left. We are only not even a third way through here. So we, we're going we're gonna to keep on moving here. Next question uh, comes in says hi there first of all i'm a listener and love the show i've had a training question for you 
This is a good one. Uh, I originally did my private pilot ground school in August of 1987 between my junior and senior years of high school. I took and successfully passed my F.A. written exam at the time. Due to financial restraints and the fact that I was obese, I was unable to finish my training. So the question is that if I now want to start flying again and finish my license, will I have to retake the F.A. written or... Do my taking and passing at once count? Thanks so much for taking the time to answer my question and keep up the good work. And I think, Victoria, you had mentioned you wanted to answer this question. Well, I just had experience with it. And no, it does not last. It expires after two years. I think there is even, um, Eric might be able to answer this for me. I believe there is an expiration date written on the test paperwork. There is. It tells you yes. when it expires. Yes. So it is two years. Um, I was getting my commercial and I was on the fast track and I did my test and I was flying and everything was great. And then life happened. And sure enough, it expired just several months before I finally got on track again and got my commercial rating. So I did have to take my commercial um, written exam twice. And, you know, I think this listener may be also uh, thinking about or getting confused with the ATP written. Uh, it used to be that the ATP written, as long as you were working for, say, an airline, uh, you didn't have to retake that exam. So that if you took it once and 10 years later, you finally got your, uh, your type rating and your ATP at an airline, it's still valid for 10 years, as long as you were continually employed. It's kind of a, an, an interesting rule, but not hmm. valid anymore because you need your ATP. So that may be something you might be thinking about because that was something that was in the past. But good stuff, though. Thanks, thanks, Victoria, for, for straightening that out for him. Appreciate it. Uh, moving right along to the next question. Uh, it says here, and this is an interesting one. This is an old old question, but uh, a good one. Uh, and, it, and there's some updates here, and, and Eric's going to give uh, some explanation here, a lot more color to it. It concerning upcoming changes to the AATD, uh, hours credited towards ratings. Uh, these, um, it's, uh, first of all, he says, super episode on instrument rating. Thanks. Could you guys please discuss this topic in an upcoming episode soon? Uh, sorry, it's not soon, and uh, it's a little bit late, but I apologize. The FAA is proposing some big changes to how many AATDs, uh, Advanced Aviation Training Devices, hours are allowed towards a private pilot instrument and commercial tickets. I'm confused and need some clarification. I'm finishing up the written for the instrument, and if I interpret this correctly, if I get my 20 hours in the Redbird before December 31st, 2014, I should be able to credit it up to 20, right? Uh, I would also like to pile in some hours that would count towards my commercial. Uh, in episode 56, but would like to pursue my, excuse me, in 56, but would like to uh, pursue my CFI as a, a retirement uh, job. He's, he is 56. But after only 10 hours of this, uh, of this proposal, uh, the LOAs are all going to be rescinded as of January 1st, 2015. If, is that true? I'm really interested to hear what Eric Crump has to say about this, as I assume a good number of hours in collegiate programs are done very efficiently in advanced aviation training devices. I personally think this is the dumbest move I've seen on the FAA's part in a while. Not sure of the logic at all behind this. And this is interesting, and there's he gives us some links, and we'll put that in there. He also says, thanks so much for your efforts. I think you guys are doing tremendous. Um, Eric's going to explain a little bit about this. Eric, what is, as far as what's happened lately, I know this has gone back some time, but, but now what is he talking about as far as the 20 hours? Can they still use the 20 hours to credit uh, towards his rating? Okay, so don't throw anything at me, but no. <laughs> um, so there, there was a lot of confusion ab about what happened. So 
the short version, and this is like, you know, a, a, a three part podcast series just on this one topic. So I'm going to boil it down in just a couple of minutes. Basically, the FAA had created LOAs for aviation training devices that exceeded the limitations of using that time in the regulations. Okay, so bottom line, the regulations, if you go to 6165 right now and read what you can do with an instrument rating, it clearly says in use of an aviation training device, a maximum of 10 hours of instrument time in a training device. Um, and that's, that's what it is. Now, there were LOAs issued that would allow up to 20. Okay, so, and, and there was no real standard rule. Some were this, some were that. And so what the FA said was, listen, um, we've got a big mess. This is similar, very similar to what they did with the aircraft registry not too long ago, if you remember, where they went through and they made everybody's registration certificate expire so they could reissue them and then find out who didn't have an airplane anymore and which end numbers were destroyed because they, they had all these defunct end numbers in the system. Well, the same thing is true with the LOA. So, so we go through and, and so they all expire and they're reissued. So every um, aviation training device out there should have a new LOA in it um, as of and after uh, January. Now, what the FAA attempted to do was to issue a temporary sort of stopgap and push that date forward and say, listen, um, you know, this is, we need to, you know, look at this, but the last thing we want to do is take away time. And what they actually did was say, hey, you know what, let's just publish a direct final rule and let's increase the time in the, let's, in the regulations. Now, let's amend the regulations to allow for, you know, up to 40 hours of loggable Zim time. Now, that's a huge deal. Um, and so, and, and all the, everywhere you can credit SIM training in, in the curricula, we're, we're going to upgrade. It was going to go to a higher number. One guy <laughs> said it was a bad idea. <laughs> and the way the rulemaking process works, which again is its own podcast, but when you try to do a direct final rule, if there's even one dissenting view, the FA has to stop and go back through the full rulemaking process. So at least for right now, this is the environment in which we're stuck. And yes, in the 141 environment, there's a huge push to have more sim time than what we have now. Um, and really, unless you have a special curricula, meaning one that doesn't follow the 141 appendices for pilot training, you have your own proprietary thing and it's been blessed by the FAA. There are some programs out there that still have more time, but again, they're special curricula, specially approved by the FAA, and there are certain limitations you have to jump through. In the Part 61 world, we're bound by what's in the regulations until the regulations change. Um, and I wish there were better news there, but that's and, – and this was really, I legitimately believe, in my opinion, um, not a move by the FAA to do anything bad to anybody. It was to attempt to clean things up and make the system more standardized and fair. And in the process, one little snag turned into a gigantic problem. And, you know, here we are. That being said, the FAA is absolutely pursuing the full rulemaking process. It's just going to take more time to fix it. So in the short term, um, consult the regulations. They're very clear for every certificate and rating of what you can credit. So go by that. Um, and then, of course, your, your new LOAs that should be included with the training devices will include that information as well. So that's good information, Eric. But to clarify, the LOAs, like on the devices that I've used, they uh, they are being they need to be rescinded because there's no expiration date, correct? Or is that not true? I th the the, um, the so manufacturer mm -hmm. should be requesting um, a new LOA for all of its devices. 
And then if you're obviously if you bought your device from the manufacturer, you're on their mailing list. Um, we have two Redbird LDs at Polk State College, and uh, we had those. Uh, we got ours in the mail, or not the mail, um, the, the email. They they were emailed to us. We printed them out and put them back in the binders. So very very simple process. Right. Okay. Interesting. Good stuff, though. I I'm hoping that the process won't be that long, but I'm sure it will be. Uh, there's uh, and I really think it's important to use, uh, and I think there's. Uh, some justification as to using up to 20 hours or whatever they come up with, whatever number, uh, because the simulators and training devices have come a long way. Don't you think so, Eric? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, this is the one thing you got to remember. Um, it's something that I talk to students and instructors about all the time. The FA says there's a maximum number of those hours you can put in your logbook. That doesn't mean it's the maximum number of hours you can use the device. Um, you know, we certified an instrument pilot last semester who ended up having 35 hours in the Redbird. Um, now it couldn't credit all of it, um, but you know that doesn't mean you can't use it. Uh, it's a great training tool, um, and it's so much cheaper to operate than the airplane. Um, regardless of the loggable time issue, it's theoretically less time you'll spend in the airplane because you can master the concept on the ground. And I've, I've certainly seen that. I know, um, I know you experienced that, Carl. I mean, obviously where you work, it doesn't make sense to go do recurrent training in the airplane. That's ridiculous. Right. I mean, no one would do that. Um, and in general aviation, we tend to use the airplane as a classroom because it's just what we've always had. But we have tools now. We don't have to do that anymore um, because the airplane is a lousy classroom. And simulators are a great classroom because you, you can have those teachable moments. There is a pause button. You shouldn't overuse it, but it's there. Um, if that approach doesn't look good, back up, try it again, back up, try it again. Um, and it's, it's a time multiplier and a great resource to students and instructors alike, in my opinion. But I think it's a good thing. Cool, cool. And uh, in the process here, it uh, hopefully will um, – do, do you have any idea of how long the process will be? I know your ears on the ground there in, in D.C. I have no idea. Um, and really, there are so many different things that roll through rulemaking all the time. Um, but when it does – end up becoming out as a notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, it'll be in the Federal Register, and I am absolutely certain that all of the letter organizations will pick it up and publish it and let everybody know that it's back out again so we can all log on and comment online and tell the FA that we think it's a great idea. Okay, great. Well, we'll put that out there when we, uh, we actually get that notification, so we'll put that a link there. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much, Eric, for that clarification. Yes, we could talk for hours about this. Real good, really good topic. Uh, but And thanks for the question. Moving right along on to the next one. It's a subject uh, from a, uh, let's see, this is going back a few months, uh, talking about the Reno Air Race and uh, what have you done lately. It says, hi, Carl. First off, I'd like to say thank you for your hard work on uh, and the dedication to these podcasts. I've listened to almost all of them and always look forward for a new one to come out. Since you have told us so much about you, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I grew up in aviation and currently work as an AMP apprentice for my father's company while working on earning my ratings. I live on our grass runway near Savannah, Georgia, and fly our family's Piper Comanche. I have a little over 600 hours in my commercial instrument multi-engine rating. I'm currently studying to become a CFI. September is my favorite month for aviation because of the Reno Air Races. My question is, will you be doing a podcast describing the air races to the listeners, and will you be out there this year? Unfortunately, not uh, not when he, and this was, of course, was last year when he gave us this, I couldn't make it out to Reno, but I do, do want to get out there. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll send somebody like Victoria out there to do, we'll send her some airline tickets and, and cover the show for us. I think Victoria Woo! will. 
<laughs> and uh, and of course Rick to get him out of that that cold north there. I think that's a, a month that might be a little bit chilly. Uh, so. Party with Ricky. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll be the videographer. As a matter of fact, uh, actually, a guy I used to work with actually won one of the competitions. I forget which one it was, but uh, that would be so cool to check out the Reno Air Races. We'd love to do that. I love doing those those shows because because uh, they're just they're just exciting just to listen to those engines. But uh, anyway, uh, he continues. This will be my third year in a row flying our plane uh, from Savannah to Reno. The first year I went uh, with my father and I flew the Cessna 150. Over 4,400 nautical miles in 53.5 hours there and back to see the races. Wow, that's pretty incredible. After that, I was hooked. Hearing those Merlins and radials push to the red line will give you goosebumps. It is truly the only place in the world where you can see those classic warbirds push to their limit. Sorry this email was so long, and thanks again for the podcast. If you're ever in Savannah, I'd be happy to take you to one of our microbreweries in town and buy you a beer and talk aviation. That I, You know, I think we all need to go to Savannah sometime and, and visit with him and, and, and uh, listen to, to stories about flying and, and the microbrew. That's a wonderful thing. I definitely will look you up, and, uh, and yes, maybe next year we'll be able to do the Reno uh, Air Races. So appreciate that email. Very Bucolic Savannah, Georgia. Bucolic Savannah, Georgia. It's going to be the word of the day. I'm going to oh say that. Oh, my God. I'm never going to say that again. For now the, on. Yeah. The new tagline. <laughs> but, uh, Loving to fly. Living to fly. And Bucolically fly. dealing with flight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or just give it up. I mean, I am, it was I'm trying. New Jersey. I'm trying. <laughs> that's, that's really silly. <laughs> but, but no, this, this, I don't uh, actually work at the college, just so we're clear on that. I'm, I'm not actually a college employee. I never graduated middle school. No, no. Yeah, there might be a town bucolic. I'm going to look that up, though. And I think we'll Let's hope so. Yes. Let me just please let there be a bucolic New Jersey. Please. <laughs> we'll definitely do that. We'll look that one up. Uh, anyway, moving right along, we'll try to get a couple more questions in, as many as we can. Uh, here's another one. It says, Air Park at Sandpoint. Idaho, uh, his message is, was listening to your episode in which you mentioned air parks, and I wanted to let you know about the most amazing one I've seen in Sandpoint, Idaho. It's, uh, that is where I want to retire. Uh, it's silverwings at sandpoint.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, that's for the always informative. Thanks for the always informative and entertaining podcast. I tell you what, I, we've been getting these links in, and I've been, I actually looked at an air park. Uh, recently, and I guess I'll have to put those pictures up there too. I never put them on my Facebook page, uh, but I was looking at some land on an air park a couple days ago, and uh, this was apropos when I saw this one. I was like, "Oh man, that is so cool!" So definitely, uh, definitely want to look around and uh, and check out some of these these really neat uh, air parks that are out there and flying communities. Awesome stuff. Well, thanks, thanks for that email, um, and we'll put that again. Put that link out there. Moving right along, we have an email from somebody who's been a guest. Is uh, Russ Waslowski? Uh, his uh, pick of the week in AskCFI.com. Uh, he says, Hi, Carl and everyone. Uh, just listened to the last episode where Eric recommended AskCFI.com. I really do like this website and have been using it for a few months. There is virtually no extraneous commentary, discussions, and arguments like the other aviation web boards, probably just due to the way it's set up. So I think it's a great way to just get an answer to a question. Uh, I post under the clever username of Russ Roslowski. Oh, that's a clever. And I've answered a few questions there. Thanks for the good show. Russ, that's awesome. I've seen some of Russ's posts out there. He's really, really into it. It's uh, AskCFI is really cool. I love what he just said 
a lot of the boards out there can uh, you can get some real trolls out there and you can get some arguments going on and and that's usually the the worst thing about most of the forums and uh, that this is great it's very positive and and you can get some really good information eric i'm sure you're still following it scfi i'm assuming i i love ask a cfi yeah. um we actually i we had took a tangential discussion today in cfi ground school on a question from ask a cfi so i the, the, i, I put, point the students to it um, it's a very valuable resource and, uh, the community there, the discussion, uh, like Russ said, is, is really good. And, um, I have, I don't know that I've ever seen a discussion tend toward the negative. Um, and, uh, I, I personally have learned a lot from the site. So yeah, I love it. Still use it all the time. Awesome. Awesome. We definitely uh, want to support Ask a CFI. It's awesome. Awesome website. Um, anyway, moving on to the next, uh, episode or excuse me, uh, notes here. Uh, we have another um, email. Oh, here it is. Eisenhower Air Force One is the subject. It says, in episode 78, you were talking about Columbine 2, and a question was asked about what happened to Columbine 1. And uh, that's obviously Air Force One. The Columbine 1 was the personal transport of General Eisenhower, so it was a natural progression. The plane is currently in South Dakota, and I think that's in Ellsworth, uh, in South Dakota, near the air base there. I've actually flown right near that air base. Uh, I, I'm not so sure if it's on the air base, but we'll put a link to that museum. And it's actually, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was a B-25, because a lot of B-25s were uh, used for corporate and personal transportation. So I think Columbine 1 was actually a, a B-25 at the time. I'll have to go look that up on the website. But uh, thanks thanks for rating in and letting us know that one. We'll definitely leave that in the show notes. And I definitely, next time I am in South Dakota, I will definitely drop in and take a look. Uh, Rapid City over there. Wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, home of Mount Rushmore. Uh, thanks again for the question or the uh, for the email. Moving on to the next one, uh, it says here, and this one actually was for, to Sean about Stewart, Florida. It says uh, the message says, Sean, greetings from Florida. Heard on the cast about you coming to our air show. That is great. I'm based here and will help you out in any way during your visit. Call me if you want to, or maybe we'll see you down there. Best of all, and his name is interesting. Uh, we won't mention it here, but it's uh, it uh, is actually I thought it was uh, one of the. Uh, the flying dog is what I thought it was. But uh, anyway, thanks <laughs> thanks for that email. Uh, we definitely would try. We were supposed to go this year to Stewart, but uh, we didn't make it because of a big uh, big uh, scheduling conflict there. But again, thanks so much, and I would, I would encourage anybody. I was just actually in Stewart a couple of days ago, and I was over there at the airfield, and it's such a cool field, and it was an old Navy airfield. Uh, really, really neat stuff. Uh, they have a lot of history, and they have a wonderful air show, and it's loud, and it's fun. Um, moving on uh, to the next one, Hangar Homes is the subject. It says, uh, it, it says here, now this is a hangar home, a bed and breakfast in Geneva, Florida. Uh, and it talks about this uh, downtown Danville B&B, and I'll show the link on there on the, on the uh, show notes. Did anybody get a chance to take a peek at this one? This is really, really cool. Uh, I don't know if any of the the other hosts have seen this. Uh, Rick, have you seen this one? The the it's a Danville B and B. No, I have not. No, it's it's pretty cool. It's uh, headed there now actually. Yeah, yeah, you got to check this out. Uh, I I've actually seen another uh, bed and breakfast in a hangar, which is really awesome. No way, Texas. 
And this is... <laughs> this is cute. This yeah. is awesome. I'm so glad you guys went to this. I just, I sat there. When I first saw this, I said, no. And, and just like Eric just did. And just, it's fabulous. It is a incredible replication of the downtown area within the hangar uh, of a, a small downtown, probably Danville, downtown. Uh, but in downtown Florida. You can get married here. Yes. Why didn't I get married here? Well, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Vows here. And, and what is the neatest thing about it, Eric? What do, what do you think is pretty cool about this one? I just, well, there's a drive-in movie theater. <laughs> you, you know, it, this little car is in there. and the, It's like being in, the, in a downtown area. It, when I first looked at it, it didn't even occur to me. I mean, I heard the thing about the, the hangar, but... I'm like, well, that's a really big bed and breakfast. And then the hangar door opens. This is fabulous. I'm I'm going here. So um, this is gonna. I will do. I will do live tweets from this place. <laughs> so we'll definitely this is have to amazing. Yeah. I yes. Think, I think this might be a, a good place to do our next live show. Is from from this B and B. This is pretty darn cool. But what's really neat about it is that the front of the the B and B, the front, it's a porch. And what happens is that is the actual door to the hangar it's a facade and it opens up and you can see right inside to this mock-up of a downtown area but that was pretty cool but anyway thanks for that link that was pretty darn awesome uh, the prices stuff. are totally reasonable too yes i mean this is not expensive at all no 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 not at all but uh anyway the uh I, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. We appreciate that so much that you guys and and if you could, you know, if you have suggestions, please send them in. As far as B and B's, I think we're running up on our time constraint here. So let me see. Can we we have time for another one? Yeah, we'll do one more. Uh, definitely do one more question, then we'll move on. Uh, and again, please keep sending them in. Uh, we're catching up here as quickly as possible. Here's one question, or excuse me, one message. It says, "Enjoyed the when pigs fly south episode." Please keep podcasts like this coming. Podcasters really gang up on Sun and Fun and Air Venture, but other interesting, fun fly-ins and events don't get much ink. They should get more attention, and I'm grateful that you're carrying the banner. More, please. Cheers. And, and you know what? I think uh, we're going to keep trying to do that, and I'm glad you said something because it's kind of an experiment to do some of these smaller shows, uh, like the aerospace discovery uh, that we did. Uh, over there at uh, Lakeland and uh, the shows like Stewart, etc. A lot of the, there's so many exciting shows out there. I wish we could cover them all. Sport uh, Expo was fun too. And the Sport Expo was a blast. And uh, that was in Sebring, Florida. Uh, just went through Sebring and uh, it's a big race town, but it's also a great place to be if you're into light sport. Or now it's called the Affordable Aircraft Show. So awesome stuff, but uh, we'll keep bringing them to you. We're, uh, we, we love the grassroots aviation. That's what this is all about because we, we truly do love, love aviation, everybody here that uh, is on this podcast. Well, we're going to have to hold it there. I mean, we, we're coming up on, on uh, the end of our, our podcast here, but I tell you what, we still have some more questions. I want to know what you think. Uh, please write us. Uh, go to the contact page or email us, contact at StuckMikeAvCast, or, uh, or just, you know, dip my wings like i said that's uh, the uh, the phone number you can call us and leave us a message and uh and rick what was the uh, hashtag again for the 
Uh, ask Smack. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna corner me here. It was Ask Smack. Right? Ask Smack. Yeah, Ask Smack. Uh, and hashtag Ask Smack. Yeah, hashtag Ask Smack. So we definitely want you to ask some questions there, and we'll put them on the on the podcast. I'd like to know what you think uh, about us doing these type of uh, episodes. Uh, I think it's really exciting. I love to hear from our co-hosts and get some some really cool uh, interaction reactions to certain things that you you folks have sent us. Some awesome questions and awesome aviators out there. Our picks of the week. Well, let's move on to the next thing. Actually, it's time for our picks of the week. And uh, we haven't heard much from Victoria in the past 10 seconds. So, Victoria, what is your (laughs) pick of the week? (laughs) I don't want to share it now because that Danville place is awesome. Um, um, Yeah, I think I'm going to have to drop offline so I can go call these people and make a reservation. I know. I'm ready, too. It's time to go to Florida. Well, my... um, Pick of the week I found on a AOPA classified earlier today, and it's also in Florida, and it's the for the river fly-in condominiums. And usually I'm not a condo person at all, but they're building these condos catered to pilots um, near their airport, and um, they're pretty neat. Uh, they're, it's a p- resort-style community. It's on Merritt Island Airport in Florida, and... Um, it looks like they're keeping it pretty. It's near a conservation area, and you get a gym and a pool and a jacuzzi and all this great stuff. So maybe when I retire, if the condo life is for me, that is where I will go. And it was a river flying condos. Oh, man, that sounds like so much fun. Yes. Awesome. They got a pretty cool plan going. They're not built yet, but um, you can take a look at their website, and they'll tell you everything about it. Awesome. Definitely going to check that out. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, let's see. Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, uh, my pick of the week is a is a, is an inexpensive little thing that I got not too long ago that it's, it's easy to explain. It's basically a um, very flexible mount for a large phone, so, or any size phone, actually. Uh, but in particular, the new larger phones, the iPhone 6 Plus, the 6, uh, and and you know, all sorts of Android phones that are, that, that, that skew on the larger side. Um, and it's a threaded mount for a tripod and it, uh, it's very solidly holds uh, a phone and, uh, it's, it, it, it's called, um, Invasion <laughs> Universal Tripod Stand. It's got a long name. You can get it on uh, Amazon. We'll have a link to it. You know, it's fi- it's, it's, uh, five bucks plus shipping. So it is not expensive. It's basically spring loaded. So you, you pull these, uh, these sort of sides apart and, Put the phone in there and it locks it tight, and then you've got a threaded thing to mount uh, the phone. You know, as I change phones, I've I've got been getting fitted kind of devices for holding the phone for you know mounting in planes or or on tripods for other purposes. And this one um, just is flexible and will and will will not need to be replaced nearly as often as the ones that are sized appropriate. So it's a small thing; it's inexpensive, but you should check it out. Cool. And again, with the mounting, that could I put that in my car, like on the dash or something like that? Yeah, you'll need what it has is just the threaded mount. So if you want, you'll need a suction cup. You'll need a separate piece that's a suction cup with a with a uh, tripod screw awesome. in it. So this isn't the mount; it's just the thing that holds the phone that'll go to any standard tripod mount. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's great. I could put that in the cockpit and then uh, yeah, record exactly. my flights and with my new iPhone 6 and the video that it takes. There you go. I'm going to do that next. Thanks, Rick. Cool. I appreciate yep. that. 
And another thing that my wife's going to yell at me for buying. Uh, thanks. Uh, appreciate that. And Eric. Sure, no problem. Although it is very inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like uh, it's yeah. the price of a burrito. Yeah, okay. Cool. cool. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. I like that comparison. That is and now you made me hungry. Um, so my pick of the week uh, this week is the National Intercollegiate Flying Association, or NIFA, uh, which you can find online at nifa.aero, N-I-F-A.aero. And um, it, it's a great organization, anyway, if you're not familiar with them. Um, and tons of information about the schools that are part of NIFA, but um, they have regional fly-in competitions um, from uh, collegiate uh, uh, flight programs. And um, then people who pass regionals can go and compete at the nationals. And if you look at the, um, you know, the, the pictures that are available on the website, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people who, who come and compete. And um, we were fortunate enough to get to observe uh, NIFA regionals in Region 9, where we are, uh, this last November, looking very forward to competing for the first time in uh, this, this November, 2015. And um, anyway, just a great organization and one that's committed to helping uh, collegiate aviators really hone and focus their skills. And, um, you know, we've, we talk on this show a lot about, well, what do I do with my pilot certificate? And, um, and just it got me thinking because I happen to be in a, in a NIFA-related mode right now. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, NIFA is a thing, and it exists for collegiate flying, but there's nothing that says that your local flying club or your local pilots association can't have their own contest, their own – their own, and it doesn't even have to be flight events. There are ground events at NIFA, too. It just made me think about it, and it's one more thing that even the general public can do with airplanes, something that's fun, a little competitive spirit. And um, NIFA is such a great organization, and uh, we're very proud to be a part of of that group, and we look very forward to competing, like I said, this year. So uh, that's my pick of the week. Well, awesome. And, you know, mine kind of leads as uh, a follow-on to that one. And my pick of the week actually has a little bit to do with NIFA, and uh, it's a Facebook page. And as you know, that I'm, I'm coaching the team over at uh, Polk State College, and these are some wonderful people. But the, the flight team is actually part of this club, uh, the Polk State Aviators Club. And I want to bring your attention to their Facebook page because they have some really exciting pictures uh, that when they started posting all these really cool pictures of them flying in a simulator and going to all these events and getting to, to see the, the folks over at, uh, was it the Breitling airplanes that they got to stand next to? I think that was fairly recently. You had to watch them build them. They got them out of crates and built jets in front of their face. It was pretty amazing, yes. That is so cool. And we see pictures of that while they're doing that. And they got to see, I think, the blimp at one point. And they show the pictures of when they were at NIFA. So if you want to see those pictures of NIFA, like Eric talked about, it's at uh, facebook.com slash PSC aviators psc like polk state college aviators so facebook.com slash psc aviators and uh they they sure do they're they're spoiled man they they get to do some really really cool stuff they took uh, a field trip today um to a an unmanned aircraft operator that um builds and um ships uh, unmanned aerial systems uh for um state government military application and so they're, I mean, there was, you know, nobody can take pictures. You know, we have to take your cell phones and, you know, this is all top secret stuff. I mean, they had a blast. <laughs> they had an absolute blast. Um, and they actually offered to take some people flying in the T-28. Luckily, the students remembered that um, 
college liability insurance does not cover flights in the T-28. So fortunately, no one took advantage of that this trip. But um, but uh, yeah, they, we, we get to do a lot of things outside the classroom, and that's a huge thing for me. It's nothing wrong with the classroom. There's nothing wrong with the textbook, but I, I like it when they get to go out and see, uh, get, see, watch aviation get committed by people who are in the profession doing it. I think that's a very valuable learning experience. Awesome, awesome. Hey, and by the way, on that same page, I was just looking at it right now, they have some really cool pictures of the Redbird that you were talking about, the LD, mm-hmm. and uh, some, some neat stuff. They use there. it quite a bit. Yes, yes, and uh, it's really really neat. As a matter of fact, I uh, did my first initial training in the uh, G1000, uh, really was with, with uh, one of your instructors, as a matter of fact, uh, that taught me in that, and... Uh, I was out there flying it the other day. Maybe I'll put some of those pictures up too. But gosh, uh, I was a little bit lost because you know when there's there's a difference between the training environment and then getting in the airplane. Uh, but then I I went back on what my instructor said, and uh, I was able to kind of figure things out fairly quickly. So he did a great job, and and that uh, that uh, blue uh, excuse me Redbird actually helps quite a bit. The after landing checklist. Uh, but anyway, well, that's it for, for this show. Uh, I think we've got all of our picks of the week. Of course, Sean Moody couldn't make it this week because of uh, the fact that he had a little bit of a scheduling conflict, but we hope to see him on, in the next episode. Really like to hear what you think about uh, what we're doing with uh, some of the, the listener mail and more suggestions. Please send them in. Just go to our contact page. We have all the information there as far as how to get in touch with us. Well, from myself and from Rick Felty and Victoria uh, Zyko and also from Eric Crump, Sean Moody and Absentia. Safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode and go commit some aviation. Have some fun out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.